Personally, I always know that we're going to be in for a headache whenever Francis takes an overseas trip. Overseas trips mean airplane press conferences, and airplane press conferences mean, without failing, that we're going to be treated to several days of trying to figure out some bizarre statement or another that Francis made. Statements that often have theological implications, but as these statements are all too often made to journalists, and not to anyone with a background in sacred theology, what often gets reported is a story that doesn't include an understanding of just how dangerous or off-base the various statements of Francis are. And I have a Christmas present for you today, one that I know you'll absolutely love. We have another such statement by Francis, and no, it's not on the environment. It has nothing to do with consumerism or plastic straws or how we must submit to the UN and its agenda for sustainable development that always comes with population control. Nope. Today we have Francis bringing up Amoris Laetitia again. As far as I'm concerned, this is him answering the dubia. So let's get into this because this is just a perfect topic for this season of joy and happiness. Francis's trip to Asia was last month and already has made waves for some of the bizarre and frankly terrifying things he spoke of. Most notably was his trip to Japan, where Francis lectured the Japanese on why it's bad that they haven't embraced the vibrant enrichment of open borders like the Europeans have. The response he received to that was entirely predictable, with the Japanese expl internet exploding in anger. That's an interesting story itself, and maybe worth covering, but that's not our topic here. It does, however, represent what we expect from Francis whenever he goes on tour to represent the church and what she allegedly teaches. But sometimes old topics come up old, unsettled topics that have been the cause of much stress for Catholics. And during his recent trip, Francis spoke to some Jesuits in Thailand about Amoris Laetitia, and brought that wonderful topic back into the spotlight. If you're not familiar with Amoris Laetitia for some reason, in short, it was a papal encyclical that was book-length, like they are so much of the time these days, and it was itself the fruit of one of these uh, annoying synods undermining the family. In it, Francis makes some very confusing statements about open adulterers being able to receive communion and access to the sacraments of penance based on the situation they're in, and somehow that not ending in them being able to do so without ending their sinful lifestyle. All done in the spirit of accompaniment, of course. This triggered something called the Dubia, where a group of cardinals released a letter, first in private directly to Francis, but then they made it public when he just ignored it, challenging this practice as a violation of Catholic morality. There's a lot about the Dubia and Amoris Laetitia online already if you want more particulars. The Dubia has since gone unanswered for like three years now, and most of the cardinals who authored it have long since died of old age. Francis, as usual, said that the controversial statements are magisterial in nature. The question came up when a Jesuit priest said that he had divorced and remarried couples in his area, and he needed to know how to help them pastorally. I'll let Francis answer in his own words. Quote, I could answer you in two ways. In a causistic way, which however is not Christian, even if it can be ecclesiastical. Or according to the Magisterium of the Church is in the 8th chapter of Morse Laetitia. That is, journey, accompaniment, and discern to find solutions. And this has nothing to do with situation ethics, but with the great moral tradition of the Church. End quote. There is a lot to unpack there, so let's get into this because this is a really, really wretched statement. Francis used the term causistic, which is derived from the word casistry. That word means the application of rules to cases. It can be thought of like case law or administrative rules in the bureaucracy of government where agencies have rules that impact the lives of people and are applied in various cases. 
It can also mean unsound reasoning. And I think Francis is using both meanings here. In the first sense, he's saying that the rules of the church, the traditional moral norms, are, are only rules, and they don't apply. Instead, we must accompany the public, unrepentant sinners, and this includes accessing the sacraments. In the second sense, he's saying that it would be unreasonable to deny the sacraments to public sinners. In other words, the traditional teaching of the church is unsound and unreasonable, and only his teaching, in Amoris Laetitia, is reasonable. But it gets better, because then to apply those traditional rules of the church is sinful and unchristian. This sounds a little to me like he's saying that dogma and moral theology are, are unchristian, and we've seen him say things like this before. Remember, rigid adherence to the moral norms of the faith makes one, one rigid and pharisaical. Instead, we must simply love one another and accompany them in their faith journey, whatever that means. He then states that Amoris Laetitia is a magisterial document, and he's gone so far as to have the thing placed in the official archives and library of the church, the Acts of the Apostolic See, I think is what it's called, and place it among the magisterial documents, which is pretty much unprecedented. But what does magisterial mean? In general, magisterial means that the church's divinely appointed authority to teach the truths of religion. In other words, our Lord gave his church the authority to teach the faithful about what is expected of them. And that is what the church has done consistently from the start. Magisterial authority comes in two forms traditionally, solemn and ordinary. Some magisterial authority are things like infallible definitions of popes made over the century, like Pius XII and Pius IX infallibly defining different aspects of Marian dogma. And then there's ordinary magisterial authority, and I'll paraphrase the definition from the 1951 Catholic Encyclopedia. This second form of church teaching is continually exercised by the church, especially in her universal practices connected with faith and morals, in the unanimous consent of the fathers and theologians, in the decisions of the Roman congregations concerning faith and morals, in the common sense of the faithful, and various historical documents in which the faith is declared. Now, to understand that, I'm going to borrow from Father Chad Ripperger on what a theologian is. According to Father Chad Ripperger, the church defines the term theologian very narrowly. Your favorite internet theology professor or pundit may have a theology degree. In fact, several of them do. But that doesn't make them, in the eyes of the church, a theologian. Father Chad Ripperger's book, Magisterial Authority, is a dense but very, very good book that I highly recommend on the subject of authority in the church. And in that book, he repeats the actual church definition of a theologian. Quote, when the term theologian is used, it should not be confused with the generic theologians. The term theologian refers to a specific group of men, vis-a-vis -vis those theologians of the various scholastic schools from the 12th century until the middle of the 18th century, roughly during the years 1100 to 1750. Pius IX and Twas Libenter says that we are to hold these teachings as pertaining to the faith, not only found in the decrees of the councils, but also in the universal and constant consensus of the Catholic theologians. End quote. That's important here, because at the time the church and theologians working for her gave precise definitions to most of the theological questions that we take for granted today. Teachings that had been understood, but not as defined as they are now. An example of this is the often repeated and very dumb charge by Protestants that the concept of transubstantiation didn't exist prior to Aquinas. That is not even close to being true, but it was in this time that transubstantiation was defined in the way that is still used today by the most faithful authorities in the church. But the point is this. Authority in the church is very, very tightly defined, and it works in concert with the sacred traditions of the church. No new teaching can override previous formal magisterial teachings. 
This is what Francis is precisely doing here, as far as I can tell, because the church from the days of our Lord called those who were divorced and remarried public adulterers. Now, the church has seen fit to come to understand that some marriages were not really marriages in the first place, hence the now widely abused annulment process. But in general, for nearly 2,000 years of church history, the consensus of the theologians and the authorities in the church has been this. Public authorities... Author, cut. Public adulterers are not to receive either communion or absolution in the confessional until they've brought their lives into alignment with what the church teaches. It's a tough teaching, a very tough teaching, one that has led many to unfortunately leave the church, but it is a consistent teaching of the church throughout history. It is clearly the magisterial teaching of the church, hence the dubia, hence public correction and other measures taken by far more authoritative men in episcopal offices than you or I. Francis made a comment there about how Morris Letizia doesn't advocate situational ethics. He said that because that is, in fact, one of the charges often made against the document. A good definition of situational ethics comes from an article from around the time of Morris Letizia came out by Anne Hackett at CatholicCitizens.org. Quote, Situational ethics can be defined as an individualistic and subjective appeal to the concrete circumstances of actions to justify decisions in opposition to the natural law or God's revealed will. End quote. In other words, real-life situations have more pull on our call to act as moral agents than the law of God does, and this is precisely what Amoris Laetitia seems to call for. Instead of offering concrete solutions, the document calls for decisions to be made on a case-by-case -case basis as to whether those living a lifestyle clearly condemned by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, are to receive the sacraments, despite their living in an objective defiance of God's law. In closing, I'll return to the question posed by the Jesuit priest. What does a priest do? Do to help these people pastorally? I'm not going to offer my own answer, since you and I lack the authority to do so, but I will offer you the words of Pius XII, who had a lot to say on situational ethics as they applied to sexual morality and marriage, because in his time, modernism was really beginning to take off, and situational ethics is at the heart of modernism. Quote, It will be objected, however, that such abstinence is impossible, that heroism such as this is not feasible. The present time you can hear and read of this objection everywhere, even from those who, because of their duty and authority, should be of quite a different mind. We have the doctrine of the Council of Trent, which in the chapter of the necessary and possible observance of the commandments, referring to a passage in the works of Augustine, teaches, God does not command what is impossible. When he commands, he commands. He warns you to do what you can and asks, and to ask his aid for what is beyond your powers, and he gives his help to make that possible for you. End quote. And there he's clearly talking about how those who are civilly remarried in order to, you know, make their lives in conformance with the church need to abstain from the marital act. Like I said, it's a very tough teaching. But those are the words of Pius XII. And they were given as an address to the Italian Association of Catholic Midwives in 1951. Those words are as true today as they were 70 years ago, no matter how much people in authority might not like them. So what do you think of this? Let me know what you think in the comments below. As always, I ask you to pray for the church, and, well, thank you for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.